how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. David Well grew up amongst storytellers, his grandparents, his parents, his siblings. He loved the idea of being able to transport listeners, or now viewers, to new untold worlds. He carried his passion for years, acting and writing with people like Darren Aronofsky and J.J. Abrams, until he finally got his projects made, Hunters and Solos, both for Amazon. In Hunters, the year is 1977, New York City, a troubled young Jewish man bent on revenge is taken in by a secret group of Nazi hunters. In Solos, seven unique character-driven stories, each character will set off a thrilling adventure in an uncertain future, and they'll come to reckon that even during our most isolated moments, we're all connected through the human experience. In this interview, the writer talks about scholarships and the blacklist, writing specs as calling cards, how to lead with details, what he learned conducting research for the actor Tom Hardy, and why the story demands what the story demands. You know, for me, it was falling in love with the storytellers uh, in my own family. My grandmother was the finest storyteller that I knew. My parents, my brothers, I loved the idea of, you know, a single story being able to transport me to these worlds uh, and these emotions that I had never felt or experienced before growing up in a small town on Long Island. Um, and so I always, you know, wanted to be like them, I think to have and hold that power and to be able to express it in some kind of creative way. Um, but yeah, my, my grandmother really inspired me to be a storyteller. Um, she's probably of, of all my family, um, the one who, you know, uh, inspired me in that way. Tell me a little about how you kind of broke into the industry. Cause if you're just looking at your writing credits, it seems like you, you really hit hard with, you know, two created by series, but I know you were acting before, but tell me a little about how you kind of made the transition and started doing some writing work as well. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, look, I, I grew up on long Island. I would, you know, do all the high school plays. I, 
you know, was always though a writer. As a young kid, five years old, I was writing short stories and then novels and then plays. And then, you know, when I moved out to Los Angeles, screenplays. So I had at one point wanted to be an actor, but I always was and still am a writer. Um, so I, I moved to Los Angeles about 11 years ago. Um, I tutored uh, families uh, on, on the west side of Los Angeles to, to make some money to be here. Um, and every night and every morning I wrote and I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And, um, you know, eventually I'd written the first screenplay I wrote was called Half Heard in the Stillness. It was a small independent thriller. Um, and I knew nobody in Los Angeles, but I knew this one person um, and sent the script to them. And they sent it to another person and they sent it to another person. And it was, they were assistants in the business and they were sending it around and, you know, I, I really do believe that good material sort of rises to the, to the top. Um, whomever it's from, I think good material does eventually get seen. And so I was very lucky that that script made the blacklist. I believe it was in 2013. Um, and from there it was these small steps, you know, it was like a 10 year journey to get hunters made to get my first written and created by credit. It feels like it's overnight, but it really was 10 years uh, in the making. Um, and so it was just a bunch of, you know, small steps. Someone had read that script and I ended up having a, a meeting with Darren Aronofsky and we set out to write something together. And then I wrote a pilot that this fantastic filmmaker, Susanna Beer read, and we started working on that together. I wrote something with JJ Abrams. I started writing with a lot of these incredible filmmakers um, and being sort of the co-writer on, on their passion projects. Um, and that taught me a great deal, uh, not only about filmmaking, but, but chiefly about storytelling. Um, so yeah, I think one, one step led to the another, led to the next, to the next. And, and then 10 years later, Hunters was made. Do you see that, um, there's, I mean, there's been a few people like, you know, Ron Howard was famously an actor before director. I interviewed Taylor Sheridan a few years ago, who was more on TV shows before he started getting known for writing. Do you see like multiple perspectives? I assume you'd be, you're a fan, you've been a writer your whole life, you've been on sets. Do you see this multitude of perspectives as shaping your work? I think so. And and it's it's very nice to call me an actor. I feel like I was more of an auditioner. <laughs> uh, but but, um, but yes, I, I think certainly that experience and, and you know, learning that craft uh, or part of it, um, really help inform my writing and, and, and the dialogue. And I think the, the rhythm and music of how I like to write uh, dialogue in particular. Um, and then, you know, writing and being a writer really gave me such a unique point of view and perspective as a filmmaker. You know, I, I directed three episodes of solos of uh, my first time directing. And, um, and I felt like I had such great tools uh, being a writer and understanding you know, that part of the craft um, really set me up for success as a filmmaker. So yeah, all of these, you know, learning all of the different parts of our trade and our craft um, certainly has helped inform uh, my directing, my writing uh, in, in, in myriad of ways. Hmm. So I may jump, in, jump back and forth a little between Hunters and Solos, but with Hunters, um, when I saw this, like the trailer for it, I, I kind of had this theory about the last three Quentin Tarantino movies is that you've got Nazi slave owners and Manson family. They're also evil. You can do anything to them. Where did this idea come from with Hunters? And, you know, 
uh, this kind of extremism on the Nazis and those type of things? Yeah, you know, my my grandmother and my grandfather both were Holocaust survivors. And so I grew up in a family where um, from a very young age, I was told stories about my grandmother's experiences during the war by her. Um, and to me at the time, those stories felt like the stuff of comic books and superheroes. It was the only way that as a five and six year old, I could really comprehend and understand uh, the gravity of, of what she went through. Um, and so my grandmother, this little five foot nothing you know, older Polish woman was the greatest superhero I had ever known. I thought she was stronger, more powerful than Superman or Batman or the X-Men. Um, and what a thing to grow up believing that your own grandmother was a superhero and had a cape and a mask, you know, in, in, in her bedroom closet. Um, and so as I, you know, got older, I felt this great deal of responsibility to continue her story, you know, with the rise and the continue, you know, continuation really of anti-Semitism in, in the United States but also of the epidemic of Holocaust denial. Um, and with, you know, survivors, uh, with the generation of, of Holocaust survivors, many of whom are no longer with us, I felt it incumbent upon uh, their descendants, like myself, uh, to continue their story in some way. And so Hunters really became a love letter to my grandmother. Um, there are so many wonderful films and documentaries uh, that continue the story of survivors like my grandmother and, and tell the truth of the Holocaust. But I wanted to do something different. I wanted to bring in a different audience, cast a bit of a wider net. And so I felt like the genre element of Hunters was not only truthful and consistent with the way in which I first understood my grandmother's stories, but I thought it was a universal approach and a universal genre that could bring in people around the world, millions of you know viewers around the world, who may not know anything about the Holocaust, but who want to come and understand a very super heroic like tale, the origin story of a what I'd like to call a superhero. So that was sort of the genesis of Hunters and why that style and genre was employed. Do you have any, what difficulties did you have maybe balancing, I know this is all in the past, but present yeah. and, and past meaning like back to actual, this happened during the war, this happened at this time. Did you have any problems like arcing the story in that way? Well, I think, you know, certainly. Um, for me, going back to the past was important to allow our audience to understand the motivations of the survivors uh, in the present in 1977 and of their descendants. Uh, it was important to go on record with, you know, how Jews were persecuted um, and, and, and killed, um, you know, in the past, I think illuminating that past was so important to the show. And it's important to continue um, to tell that story. Um, from a dramatic point of view, um, certainly any story that you have, you know, that's in two timelines, um, there are always challenges. Uh, but I think there's also great opportunity. You know, I think by being able to skirt between two different timelines, you can um, really hone in on what is most important in each timeline uh, and use the past to inform the present and the present to inform the past and really have that important dialogue uh, between the two eras. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, it was vital uh, to, to be depicting um, scenes in the 40s and, and 30s um, but the majority of the show really does live uh, in, in the present or in the presence of the show, which is 1977. 
Was it more coincidental in which shows got like the, the solos and hunters got picked up? Like I could I could see you possibly leaning into the historical fiction realm, but solos is something totally different. Tell me about where the idea came from and how that kind of shaped out to be your next project. Yeah, you know, Brock, it it really your first question was a brilliant one, and and that's how solos began. It began because I wanted to create a series that returned me to the feeling of how I first fell in love with stories. And that was through the finest storytellers that I knew uh, that, that we had spoken about. And so I love this idea of offering the audience a similar experience with one storyteller in one environment, telling them a singular tale that would transport them to worlds and allow them to access emotions um, that they may not otherwise have. Uh, and so that was always in my mind. You know, I don't think a, a network or a streaming service is at the top of their list of what they want to make necessarily as a monologue series. Um, but, you know, I think certainly I, I conceived and wrote this piece um, about a year ago in May, so during the pandemic. And the pandemic really accelerated um, this show's reason for being, uh, Souls' reason for being, um, in part creatively and emotionally, right? This is a story about human connection, um, about characters who are all seeking some kind of resolve in their own life, some kind of hope or light to access their dreams uh, in a period of darkness. Um, but so too, just very practically, uh, it was a very safe way to be creating art and to be shooting something during the pandemic with one actor in one location. Um, how much safer could you get other than animation, you know? so. Um, there was a real moment for the show to exist and I'm, I'm so proud of, of what we did and really the show is conceived, written, uh, produced, edited and released uh, during the pandemic um, from start to finish. So um, I'm really proud of, of this piece and how we all, you know, a group of artists really came together to do something quite rare. You may have answered this a little already, but when you start to think of these these two stories, are you beginning with character? Are you thinking about world building? How do you kind of balance between those two arenas? Yeah, you know, Hunters really began, um, I think with a concept, with, the, with an idea, with a promise. Um, I wanted to tell a story that honored my grandmother and continued her legacy. Um, with Solos, I really did begin with a character. Uh, I began, you know, I guess with a feeling of, of what it felt like to be living under quarantine and in isolation. I hadn't seen my family in, you know, many months. I had pushed off my wedding a number of times. So it really was this feeling of this, this crippling isolation. Um, and it was a really dark time, you know, for, for everyone or, or around the world. Um, so I, I suppose they began with a feeling um, and an urgency. You know, I think when I created Hunters, you know, the rise of anti-Semitic attacks were happening in our country and around the world. I felt like there was a real need for the story to exist. So too with solos, I felt like there was a real need for the story to exist. Um, and I think I begin every story like that. I have so many ideas and so many wonderful stories that swirl around in my head that I try to put on paper, whether, you know, people or, or you know, want to greenlight them or not. But I think that today in particular, there's such a need for storytellers to ask themselves, why is this story existing and why is this the time to be telling it? Uh, and I think both of these stories, Hunters and Solos, um, check that box. 
So you mentioned if solos was shot in the during the pandemic, there there were some situational factors, of course, but it seems like you're writing in a way that's really attracting like super high caliber talent in terms of actors to come want to play these different characters. Do you how do you kind of think about writing characters? How do you think about balancing them in a way where each character is unique and powerful and maybe just something different for actors to play? Oh, what a great question. Um, you know, I write characters that I want to see on screen. I love writing characters who I've never seen before on screen, you know, and for me, plot is incredibly important and in the confines of plot and structure and timing, but I'm always character first. You know, I, I just love, and Solos is a testament to that. I love exploring every nook and cranny of a character, all their depths and dimensions, big and small. I find great acts of heroism in the smallest and tiniest and most intimate and nuanced of moments. Um, and so I love finding these small details. I love leading with details and specificity uh, in my writing and in the characters that I create. And I think and I believe and I hope that these great actors identify that, that they see a reality in these characters um, because there is such specificity and such detailing work um, that's done. Uh, I never think of characters as, uh, you know, archetypes or prototypes or stand-ins uh, to, to propel plot or to propel a concept. Um, I love starting with the character and their journey and really understanding if I'm sitting across from them in a room, who are they? How do they move and think? And how do they bat their eyelashes? How do they, you know, what, what music do they love? What, what, you know, what's their favorite meal? And, and um, it's funny, I started when I first moved to LA and I was tutoring, I had a few side gigs um, and one was working for this great producer, John Lesher. Uh, and one of my jobs was doing research for him. And I did research, I remember, for Tom Hardy, uh, who was going to play Al Capone in this Warner Brothers film at the time. I know he just played him in a different film. Uh, but uh, Tom's, uh, the work that I did for Tom was about excavating and trying to understand who Capone was what you know was his favorite meal uh where did his mother take him as a young kid to buy shoes you know what was his favorite cologne what was his favorite music and so it was really understanding the actor's process and fleshing out a character um and so every time i create a character i always think about those things what clothing do they wear uh, you know what what joke do they love what are their favorite tv shows or films or plays or radio plays uh so that approach has been so informative in how I create characters, uh, and and I'm I just feel so lucky that that such brilliant actors have responded to to the material in that way. Mm. There's definitely like a, an iceberg approach to that, where we see very little of what goes into it. What do you actually show up with day one? Like when you showed up to pitch hunters or pitch solos, and these are not you know what TV used to be was 24 episodes. You wrote a pilot. I know it's a lot different now. Did you have ideas for 10 episodes of Hunters? Did you write all of solos and then bring in a few people to help with things? Or what were those two experiences like as a writer pitching these ideas? Yeah, you know, I, 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 look, I always knew Hunters was an incredibly difficult show to get sold. It's bold. It's different. Um, I think it's scary for a lot of networks. I think you need a really brave, um, group of artists and executives to understand it. And Jordan Peele did, you know, and he really helped me uh, realize uh, the power of the piece and how to hone it. And Jen Salky, who runs Amazon Studios, 
she saw it. She saw the vision. She understood it. She took that great leap of faith um, with Jordan and myself. Um, but I did have for hunters, I had the first episode written and then I had a 80 page Bible that detailed every single episode, um, a couple of ideas for future seasons, all of the character biographies, you know, treatises on, on tone and, um, visual language and, uh, symbolism and, and all of that. I knew that I had to put it all on the page and all on paper, uh, to really detail what the show would be because, the show is so tonally unique. It's so tonally different. Um, so that was really important for Hunters. And for Solos, I took a similar approach. You know, I think both of these series are different forms of sto storytelling than we often see. And that's the kind of storytelling that I love to do most, which is doing something that's unique and different that gives an audience an incredibly different perspective and experience. Uh, Solos, I wrote the first two episodes. I, I wrote Tom and I wrote Peg. Um, and I sent them to Jen and to the, you know, my, my friends at Amazon and, uh, and they really loved the material. And part of the conversation was, this is incredible. Which, what actors can we bring in? You know, what actors can we get to be a part of this? I think they were really excited about the material, but they knew that we needed real masters of the craft to come in and perform these pieces for them to really sing and to soar. Um, so we began that process and, and. I felt so lucky that Anne Hathaway and Helen Mirren were the two first actors who uh, were interested in, in, you know, working together on solos. Uh, and then it really went from there. I, I reached out to three writers who I adore and admire, uh, Stacey Osei-Kufour, uh, Tori Sampson, and Becca Bowling, who I've worked with before, and asked them to come play, you know, and to come join. And um, they each wrote their beautiful and brilliant and odd episodes um, and in the process, I then wrote um, uh, the script for Leia and then the finale for Stuart. So it kind of all happened at once, I would say. Um, it was juggling a lot of different things. We had scripts coming in. We had scripts going out to actors. We had actors signing up. I was writing more. And so it was just a really thrilling uh, process. Do you think there are any misconceptions or bad advice about the pitch and those initial meetings, because most people that I talk to, if it's their first movie or whatever it is, they, they start with something independent, small, less than $2 million. You're coming yeah. in with two full series. I mean, is it just the confidence and the idea and the uniqueness or how do you kind of think about those things? You know, I, I allow the story to kind of lead me to where it needs to go. You know, I've written many, you know, small, you know, sh independent films, uh, that could be shot for five million or less, um, but I always like to feel that the story demands what the story demands. Now, look, Solos—it was not an expensive show. It was, you know, it, it really wasn't. Uh, it was one actor in one environment. We shot only three days per episode, though we had these A-list actors and this brilliant costume design and production design. The show really was not. It looks big. Um, but in terms of actual budget, it, it, it wasn't. Uh, and that was such a thrilling feeling uh, to know what our budget was and how much could we squeeze out of the money that we have and how can we put all the money on the screen. Um, so it was a constant you know, struggle, but we had great partners in Amazon to help us realize the vision. But we knew what, what budget we had to hit. So you know, I started out writing independent films and small things that I just thought, oh, I, can, I can maybe get this made, you know? 
Um, but I would always encourage a writer to write something uh, to what the what the story demands. Now, I wouldn't be gratuitous about it, you know, but um, but I think you have to tell the story that you have to tell. And look, so many first time uh, writers, uh, or, or rather writers who their first thing that was produced had, had a big budget, myself included. Um, so I really would just write the script that, that needs to be written would be my, the best advice that I could give. Do you think there, I know you've uh, really just worked with Amazon so far and Jordan Peele, but do you think that the streamers are broadening what they buy? Like it used to really be that, okay, this is an AMC show, this is an HBO show. Do you think that's still there or, or is that kind of changing as well? I believe that many places, Amazon, Netflix, Apple, uh, you know, HBO Max, Disney Plus, I, I think there's room for a lot of different content at these these places. It used to be, you're right, you know, this is an HBO show, this is an FX show. Um, oh, this would be perfect for AMC. Uh, but I think that there's a great variety now at these larger streamers of the kinds of content that they're going to produce, you know, and and so um, look, Amazon is, you know, doing solos and they're doing an underground railroad and they're doing, you know, on the feature side, the Tomorrow War, all very very different pieces of of cinema. Um, but I think there's room for a lot of different uh, genres and and um, you know pieces at certainly at Amazon and and I believe uh, industry wide now more and more. Yes. What does your time look like? Maybe, I know it's probably changing, but so you show up with the idea for Hunters, a pilot and an 80 page Bible. What are people not seeing? Do you have 10 other ideas half written somewhere? And how do you kind of navigate between those to know that, okay, this is the project I want to work on most right now as and this can wait, or this is not quite ready for me to, you know, jump on it. How do you kind of move between those ideas? It's it's such a gut thing, you know. I first of all, I have like fifteen screenplays that I've gotten every no on that never got sold. You know, I have I have an arsenal of of rejections, uh, and for every piece that goes, you know that there are fifteen scripts behind it that that haven't. Um, it is that iceberg effect for sure. Um, but look, there there are many projects I'm I'm working on at the moment, and I think for me, it's always a gut thing. It's it's falling in love, right? It's something you can't really describe or strategize about but it's oh what do i i'm feeling so passionate about you know this this film that i'm writing and and i'm dreaming about it you know i think sometimes when you go to bed and you're working on the thing you have to be working on but then you're dreaming maybe about something else you know that that's the moment you should be working on that piece i think allow your passion to dictate where you spend your time uh, because I think if you're incredibly excited about a certain project, that enthusiasm and that love is going to come across on the page. And, and you know, we fall in and out of love. I think there are seasons uh, to our passions and to what, what scripts we love, you know. Um, and if you're in a certain season uh, with a film that you love, you should follow that passion and follow that joy. And I think spend your time on that um, because that can be ephemeral and you want to you know, bottle that magic um, if you can. I know that um, no one has, you know, the exact same break into the industry story, but after someone has a great script or, or Bible or, or whatever it is, what's 
typically the next best thing they can do. Is it a manager? Is it any type of collaborator? Is it a producer? Is it finding the right place for it? Like what, what might you recommend to someone who's got something ready to move with it? You know, it's, it's tough. And I, and I get this question a lot. I mean, I, I think, yes, obviously an agent or a manager would be wonderful, but I know that's also really challenging, you know, for, for a lot of people, if they don't know anybody or how do you get your foot in the door there? You know, I always tell writers that I think the, the best way are really, you know, the blacklist is a wonderful resource. You can upload your script onto the site and you could have, you know, individuals in the industry read it and rate it. Um, that's a really wonderful tool uh, to get seen. I, I credit the blacklist for my first two features that were on it, uh, Half Heard in the Stillness and Moonfall. Uh, it opened up so many doors for me. Um, and then there are great, you know, contests and scholarships, the Nichols and Austin Film Festival. And, you know, I would just really look online. So many folks, uh, Tracking Board, I believe, has the uh, launch pad. Um, so many folks get discovered uh, via that, via those contests uh, and those, uh, you know, yeah, the, really those, those contests. But um, that is, I think, a very democratized way of breaking in. You know, I think that would be the best path um, for someone who may not have any connections or who may not know anybody um, in this, you know, in the industry, uh, like I did, like like I did not, you know, uh, coming in uh, to, to, to Hollywood. Um, but then, you know, if you're able and you have folks that you can reach out to, I, I do think if you have a script that you say, hey, I'm ready to shoot this. If you could find the money and shoot it, you know, yourself, if you're a filmmaker, a, you know, a writer, director, I think that's a great way to go about it. Um, perhaps it's reaching out to, uh, you know, a manager you may know or a, a talent agent and sending the script and saying, hey, this is the piece that I really believe in. Um, I would say to really, you know, find that single script. Don't send five scripts to a manager or to an agent, um, but really find the piece, find the thing that it, that can be your calling card that you are most proud of that showcases your voice um, in the best way possible. And, uh, and I would go all in on, on that one script. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.